Hola, buongiorno, konnichiwa, and hello. My name is Primetime. And I'm Sonny D. And you're listening to Wrestling with PTSD. Today's episode of Wrestling with PTSD is brought to you by Amazingly Awful Podcast, which you could find on whatever platform you find your podcast on. And their hosts are Kane, Fever, and Apollo Spliff. They talk about sports. They talk about hip-hop. Hell, they even talk about porno if you're into that type of stuff. If you're into that type of stuff. So be sure to give those guys uh, a look up and follow them for great content. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our very special inaugural episode of Wrestling with PTSD. Um, I want to set out a disclaimer before we uh, get on with this. Um, PTSD is not a joke. It's not a laughing matter. Uh, We definitely do take it seriously. It's very 100% we're taking it seriously. Um, But it's just our initials, and it just so happens to be fall into that area. So if you could just get beyond that and just keep listening, we're going to have a great show. You'll definitely love our conversations and what we talk about. So stay tuned. So primetime, tell me, how long have you been a wrestling fan? Oh, man, how long? Uh, I was born in 1990, so I'm thinking maybe 92, 93. My dad and my uncle got me into wrestling. And I can honestly say the first match I believe I ever seen, and because uh, I'm a big Brett the Hitman Hart fan, uh, was him uh, and Mr. Perfect, one of, the, one of those matches where they came down to Lehigh University, seeing them for the first time, fell in love with wrestling right there and then. Right. That's awesome right there. It was a house show at Stabler Arena. Yes. So remember the first time I watched wrestling, I remember it perfectly. It was before Monday Night Raw. It was Tuesday Night Titans. And my brother loved wrestling. I hated wrestling. It was so annoying because that's all they watched. Until I saw this guy named the Ultimate Warrior come out. Yes. Once I saw him come out, man, and he destroyed this jobber, I was hooked from then on out. Like he was, I know he's got a bad reputation, but he's what brought me into being a wrestling fan. Yeah, I, I could definitely agree. He was a big legend. Uh, now, back in the day, he, he he's definitely is a crazy dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to sit there and defend everything he did, but as a kid, man, that shit was real to me. The way he came out, he was like a to me, he was a real life superhero. Mm-hmm. So, um, one yeah, the, man. So, uh, one of the empire with all those, yeah, uh, with all that introductions out the way, let's get to it. You hear that, right? You hear that song, Prime Time. You hear that I song? Heard Definitely heard it on my face. Yes. So, uh, Christopher Michael Benoit, born May twenty first, nineteen sixty seven, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, he went through a lot of uh, ring names. He went as Dynamite Chris Benoit, the Pegasus Kid, the Wild Pegasus, the Canadian Crippler Chris Benoit. Which one was your favorite? The Crippler, man. Oh, what about the... Did you say the Rabbit Wolverine? That oh, the Rabbit Wolverine. How did the, I miss that? The Rabbit Wolverine. There we go. Oh, what was the other one? The Two Foot... No, that was Two Foot Aggressive. That was one of the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Now, Chris Benoit, he made his debut in November 22nd, 1985 with Stampede Wrestling. And for, you those, for those of you who do not know, do you know who ran Stampede Wrestling uh, there? Prime time? Uh, was it a Bret Hart's father? It was, the legendary Stu Hart ran yes, Prime Time did. Wrestling. 
He went by the name of Dynamite Chris Benoit. He paid homage to the Dynamite Kid. Great wrestler. Honestly, every time I saw Chris Benoit wrestle, I always thought about the Dynamite Kid because all the things he used to do, especially that headbutt off the top rope, definitely definitely see some uh, comparisons there between the both. 100%. The snap suplex, mm-hmm. uh, just a wild style. They were both small and stocky, you know? Definitely agree. The first title he actually won in Stampede Wrestling was the Stampede British Commonwealth Mid-Heavyweight Championship. That's a mouthful, right? Jeez, I didn't even know that belt even existed or promotion. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he won that. And then um, in 1986, he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling. After one year of wrestling in Stampede, it was changed to the New Japan Dojo. You're more versed in New Japan and everything that has to go along with that. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, everything in New Japan. Um, I In the past, I've known certain matches. Uh, even now, I probably don't follow them as much as I should, but a lot of great matches I have seen, uh, especially with Kenny Omega and stuff like that. But uh, I've really never seen a, a lot of his stuff when he was in New Japan, only when uh, a couple matches with Eddie. Okay, yeah. So he went three years in New Japan. And in 1989, he, he went underneath the hood. He started wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And he he went by the name of the Pegasus Kid. Right? Mm-hmm. He had critically acclaimed matches as the Pegasus Kid against Jushin Thunder Liger, who's a legend on both yes. continents. Uh, Shinjiro Otani, El Samurai, and the Black Tiger. Do we all know who the Black Tiger is today? Hmm. That would be Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero. There we go. Yeah. Man. Uh, yes. It, it, and they all wrestled in the junior heavyweight division. And they had some classic matches, critically acclaimed. So, you know, if you ever get a chance, go back and, and watch those matches. Definitely. August of ni- I'm sorry. August of 1990, he won his first major title in New Japan. He won the junior heavyweight championship. He defeated Jush- Jushin Thunder Liger. So, again, another classic match. Mm-hmm. You can uh, tune in on uh, your nine ninety nine to <laughs> what is it the raw app? Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, he won the best of Super Juniors tournament twice. First in nineteen ninety three, then again in nineteen ninety five. He's won his first ever Super Juniors. He won the first. Excuse me. Won the first ever Super J Cup tournament in nineteen ninety four, defeating Black Mask. Gato and the great Sasuke in the finals. And I must say, if you have some time, especially with this whole quarantine, tune into those because that whole tournament is amazing. It's amazing. Now, something that I wasn't aware of in 1994, he went to Mexico and he won the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship from Viano number no. three in Mexico. I never even know that either. Huh? Yeah. Apparently, the WWF light heavyweight title was created on March 26, 1981, through a partnership with WWF and UWA, which is a Mexican promotion. It was a regional championship in Mexico before going to Japan through the Michinoku Pro, Michinoku Pro, June 16, 1995, before coming back to WWF in 1997. So, there's that bit of uh, hidden information right there. Some good information there. I never even knew that. Especially the titles, man. I never knew that. <laughs> That's crazy right there, right? <laughs> he had stints in WCW from 1992 to 1993 as a jobber, you know. Went in the ring, made the other wrestlers look good, got beat up. Pin me, pay me. 
You know how that goes. Yep, that's how usually a lot of the people start. They get beat up, and then they, they work their way up, learn the ropes. That's it. That's it. That's how you're going to do it. So then he re- after 1994, he returned back to Japan. So then, uh, 1994, leading into 95, he came back to ECW. He was uh, built as this dominant shooter. You know, he injured Rocco Rock in the match in a match before, mm-hmm. and accidentally broke the neck of Sabu. Oh, that he, was horrible. Oh, the, was it a German suplex where he just threw him in the air and he came down the wrong way? Okay, okay, what what he tried to do was he he wants to do a, a face first pancake, but Sabu's tried to spin in midair. But he didn't achieve the full rotation and landed directly on his neck. Oh, and it was so, horrible looking. Yeah, if you watch CCW, even you can even watch ECW right now on the WWE Network. There, when that happened, there was just it just was replay after replay and and doctors breaking it down. It, and it was it was nasty. It was. It was one of the worst injuries I've ever seen, especially uh, when I seen it. I I've never seen it live, obviously as a little kid. But when they showed it on the WWE Network. Or even on YouTube, when I first seen that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, whoa. Like, that's something. Especially when he came down on it, it looked like it was horrible. <laughs> Bad. So, and then the crazy thing is that happened within the first 30 seconds of the match that happened. So. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got the nickname, The Crippler. Yeah, ex- exactly. I was just about to go into it. <laughs> after after uh, after the match, he went back and he was, like, distraught. And uh, he was ready to quit wrestling. But Paul Heyman. Genius. The infamous Paul Heyman, the genius yeah. that he is, talked to him uh, and actually went had him go by the name of the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. And it, he didn't feel comfortable doing it, but after a while it became natural because it was just always an intense wrestler, you know? That's and it fit him perfectly. It did. Honestly, it definitely did fit him perfectly, his wrestling style. he was. He, I felt like every time he was in there, he was doing 100%. Like, that was one of the people, if I was a professional wrestler, I would not want to be in the ring with, especially those chops. Uh. Oh, my Lord. He made it look real, and those chops were 100% real. Uh, intensity, and, man. Yeah, intensity. Um, after, that, uh, after all that, he won the ECW Tag Team Champions with a feller by the name of Dean Malenko, oh, another phenomenal technical wrestler. Which we'll come back to that later on the show when he uh, maybe uh, joined a little group. Yes, sir. We'll definitely come back from there. And um, he, he won – them two, they won their first ECW Tag Team Championships, but they defeated uh, Sabu and the Tasmaniac. The Tasmaniac went on to become – Taz. Taz, the human suplex machine. And this happened in February of 1995. Can, can we acknowledge something real quick of uh, how much star power ECW had back in the day? And, and it's amazing that – they were guys that nobody wanted at all. And look at Paul Heyman just put them on the matching, just matches that were phenomenal and they got scooped up. Yeah, because the way uh, Paul Heyman did ECW, he wants a. They didn't have the budget for the lights and, and fireworks, so they cut all that out and just accentuated the wrestling and the ultra violence. And which for the nineties, yeah, for the nineties is something that we love. Oh, yeah, we loved the violence back in the day. I'm not going to lie. We grew, all probably grew up on the attitude error, all that stuff. But ECW was on a whole nother level of extremeness. And honestly, it, it benefited them a lot. It made it put their name out there. It got them to, unfortunately, they had to shut down because they didn't have the money. And Paul Heyman never really had to pay anybody because he was always, <laughs> he was always back on payments. But 
he he knew what he was doing. I guess he got into a lot of the wrestlers' heads. He knew who was stars. He knew how to make the push them, especially when it came to just the wrestling and then in backstage interviews. He always said, "Listen, we're gonna be here all day until you get it right, so I know it's believable." So he knew he believed in them, and as you can see, none of some of them are in the Hall of Fame right now. I feel that's missing in a in a lot. Like I feel like they don't have the chances. Today's wrestlers don't have the chances that. You mess up one time, you're done. Yes. You, ain't, you don't have it anymore. And, and that's a shame right there, you know? Especially injuries, man. You get injured, you're on the shelf for almost a year. You're, you're pretty much done with your push. Yeah. And this is my opinion. This is my popular opinion. I mean, unpopular opinion, but I think they should bring back jobbers. They should. Build the guy up to make them look like ass kickers so when they, fight, they go against other ass kickers, it means more. Uh, it, it definitely worked for uh, Braun Strowman for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And even Ryback, remember Ryback? Oh. He was doing it too. Yep, he did it. And then what, what was cool about Ryback is not only did he have one, not only did he have two, <laughs> he had three to four people in the yes. uh, about to wrestle in one match, and he destroyed them and made it look easy, and it still looked good. Yeah, like today they have matches. Uh, you have one go guy going against the other, and they'll have countless matches on Raw. By the time they get to the pay-per-view, nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. Nobody cares. Exactly. And it's, it's. I mean, even with today's wrestling fans, I mean, they're flip-flop, man. Some week they'll love yeah, you, then next week they'll hate you, just for the simplest things. Definitely. All right, so after 1995, uh, or mid-1995, I should say, they dropped the titles to Public Enemy, and then he went back to uh, Japan. Now, uh, towards the end of 95, um, he went to WCW as part of a talent exchange that they were doing with New Japan. And um, between, uh, yeah, but the, the talent exchange was between uh, WCW and New Japan. He actually started out in the cruiserweight division. Mm -hmm. So as he was wrestling, the booker at the time, uh, Ric Flair, was like super impressed with him. Super impressed. And he joined the Four Horsemen at the time. That incarnation of of the horsemen was Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, and Chris Benoit. You have any thoughts on, on that incarnation right there? Oh man, that 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 group right there is just all Hall of Fame names on there. Just I was a big fan of Brian Pillman. Uh, just his and my, his mic skills. You have Arn Anderson just being the force and just being someone who was there to just kick your ass. And then of course you got Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo! Like, come on, you know who that? If you don't know who that is. You might as well just stop watch wrestling right now. All right, now let me ask you: What's your favorite incarnation of the Horseman? Uh, the one that doesn't have Mongo McMichael in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So then here's my oh man. See, because my honestly, my my favorite incarnation was Rick Arn Mongo and uh, Chris Benoit. I just <laughs> that was at the height of my WCW fandom, you know, and like that's when. I'm gonna be honest. I wasn't a NWA, WCW guy in the beginning of the of the '90s. I, I like with Tully Blanchard and Oli. I, I never saw that, so I can't. You can't judge make, it. No, I agree. I can't. I can't judge it. But from what I saw, I love that. I loved even Mike Mon Mongo was the worst on the mic, and <sighs> and his wife Deborah was always trying to steal the show. But I don't know. To me, I got a soft spot in my heart for that. Uh, for that incarnation right there. <sighs> I agree. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just never saw Mongo McMichael. He was just, to me, uh, he was trash. He, trash. When, they, when they put him in, I was like, oh, this is like as low as they can get at this point. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was happening during a big time right here. This is when WCW first started Nitro. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Brian, Brian Pillman was in a big feud between uh, it was Brian Pillman and Kevin Sullivan. So in the middle of that feud, uh, Brian Pillman quit WCW. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And then where did he go? ECW, 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 the land of the extreme. And extreme. again, Paul Heyman, new star power, and he knew his mic skills were amazing. Yep. So um, after that, uh, after he left to continue the feud, they uh, they uh, inserted Benoit into it. And um, let me tell you something: Benoit and Sullivan had some ultra violent matches. Ultra violent. The one that stands out to me the most as the best, we discussed this before we went on air, was the 1996 uh, Great American Bash. What are your thoughts on that match? Uh, honestly, I've never seen this match. I've Honestly, you send me the link and you're like, watch this. This is my favorite. I watched this whole match glued to the TV because these guys were beating the living hell out of each other. <laughs> like, I didn't – honestly – I didn't know what was real, and I'm sorry to use this, wrestling fans, fake. Uh, but yeah. they were just stiff shot after stiff shot, and they were going everywhere, not just in the wrestling ring. They were in the fans. The fans were loving it. They went into the bathroom. The bathroom. <laughs> the bathroom. And when I say I have never seen a stiff shot with an item, Sullivan used the door to crack Benoit in the head, and it bounced right off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they simply put, they beat the shit out of each other. Living hell, yes. There's no way, the ways to go around it. This match was, if you love wrestling, you love hardcore because you grew up on it, this is a match to watch. A hundred percent. Definitely go back and watch that match because it was phenomenal. So, and, um, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, and also, with this match, I can also say, I never knew how much I loved Dusty Rose on the mic. Because <laughs> this man was hyping up this match with what was it, Tony Schiavone? I believe, yeah, Tony yeah, Schiavone. Tony Schiavone, yeah, the brain. Yes, well, well, Bobby the Brain there because he was in backstage with the Four Horsemen, I believe. I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah, uh, yeah but I know that on that pay per view, it was Bobby the Brain, Tony Schiavone, and Dusty Rhodes. Yes, great, great, um, uh, just a um, great uh, crew right there. Uh, but I just honestly, I've never uh, really heard uh, Dusty Rhodes because I'm not gonna lie, I'm a, I was a big WWE fan back in the well, WWF back in the fan back in the day. <laughs> Uh, and WCW only got popular with me with, with the NWO. But when I tuned in this match, he definitely knew how to hype up exactly what was going on on the screen. My favorite line in that match was, there's a woman in the oh, men's <laughs> Yes. Can we please talk about that as well? Because <laughs> when I say I've never heard someone so hyped up to see a woman in the bathroom, it was Dusty, man. He was just going crazy. And then the line after that, when they left, he was like, let's go to the women's line. Oh, the women's bathroom and see what that was looking like. It was yeah, great. That, looked, that was phenomenal, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, this All right, this so... Match, uh, oh, that, good. No, you well, go ahead. Was, oh, well, I was going to say... Well, I was going to say, just this match, it, it showed a, a lot what, what Chris Benoit can do, you know? Uh, just his intensity was great in this match. He, honestly, he was taking a beating, getting the beating. And the way this match ends... For I guess for the time it was big. For now, like when I was watching at the end, I was like, yeah. "That's all." Because don't get me wrong, for the time it was a cool spot when he put the table on top of the corner and then the suplex, and it just ended like that. But right. great spot for the time, I guess. That's what what was a big spot to end the match, but it was great. Definitely. So um, that was their first match. So and during this time they feuded for like over a year. So 
Kevin Sullivan decided to get this bright idea, and he booked his real-life wife at the time, Nancy Tofalani, better known to you and me as a woman, at an angle where a woman left Sullivan for Benoit. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, I'm laughing now because this became one of the funniest things in wrestling history. Everyone says it. Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce. Booked his own divorce. Like, that's... Uh... So it could that whole feud lasted for a year and it ended at the Bash of the Beach of 1997. Still another great match, mm-hmm. but it didn't have what the uh, Great American Bash of '96 had. You know, yes. it had too much outside interference and it seemed so, too set up. Yep, definitely. There was a lot of uh, Dungeon and Doom interference and Four Horsemen interference. But yes. again, another great match. But the first one was definitely better. Uh, also. Um, wasn't he uh, booking them together in the same hotel rooms as well? Everything. Yeah, so because he didn't want to break kayfabe at the time. Exactly. So. <laughs> so, again, guys, it's funny because he booked his own divorce. Yeah, you know, that was really bad on his on his part. That match right there in 97 was a retiring match, which Chris Benoit won. Okay, now an on-screen relationship uh, with them two, as you just stated, it led to a real one off-screen. So, you know, and... Uh, it was good, but honestly, during this time, it was a little weird, too, watching WCW, how they were, like, doing the angles when you fi- in hindsight when you finally know what it is. Because mm-hmm. I went back and I watched all the Nitros leading up to the ending, you know, and it was – knowing what I know now and watching it, it was pretty, like, dark, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, especially knowing what we know now and especially just watching it. Because when you said watch this, I went back and watched a lot of the old WCW stuff as well to get updated it. And – I was like, man, for the time, it was great. But thinking about it now, it's like, damn, this is uh, pretty dark. Definitely dark. So we're going to fast forward to towards the end of his WCW career to 1999 when he won with Dean Malenko the, the WCW Tag Team Championships in a match with uh, Kurt Hennig and, and Barry Windham. Uh, any thoughts on that match? Or um, I've, I've, Honestly, I've never seen it. Uh, big fan of uh, Kurt Hennig, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect. Uh, big fan of his, but I can only imagine what it looked like in the ring. Probably another solid match, especially having Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit together. That just seems like a legit team right there. And this was during the Attitude Era when WWF picked up its steam and Austin 316 was going on. So this was the point when WCW was kind of unwatchable. Yeah. Oh, is this when they had that little group that they were seeing the country music and stuff? Yes. Oh. The, the West Texas Rednecks. Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember that. Uh, I hate rap. Rap is crap. Yeah. <laughs> rap is crap. <laughs> that was, that was, you know what? That, that was pretty catchy, though. It, it was. was I'm not going to lie. Maybe a couple months ago, I was humming it the other day. I don't know where it came from. I was like, damn, where'd you stop me? And I was just singing it. Yes. So, um, so, during that time, that's when the Four Horsemen was Art Anderson, Dean Malenko, uh, Mongo McMichael, and, and Chris Benoit. So, um, apparently, there was a, a breakup with them, and they left, and uh, Benoit became a singles wrestler by himself, and he won the USA Championship. And he started a rev- – uh, he started a – during the New Blood era, he started his own stable with uh, Shane Douglas, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. They were called The Revolution. Uh, he had ran the fuse for the U.S. title and winning the television title from Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> oh, Jeff Jarrett. That's J-E double F. Slap nuts, J-E. baby. Slap nuts. <laughs> okay, now in October 1999 in Kansas City, Missouri, he had a classic match against Bret Hart. 
you brought this up as being one of your top five matches for Chris Benoit, correct? Yes. Uh, this is when Owen died. Um, in that same uh, building. Same building. Uh, was it a whole year later, or I believe? Oh, no, it was that year, but it was in uh, May 23rd. That was actually my birthday. Owen Hart passed away on my birthday. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, can you imagine watching that on your birthday? You know, a great classic match. And, and honestly, uh, if you remember uh, Malcolm in the Middle, uh, that was the same match when he was Bret Hart was putting Chris Benoit into the sharpshooter. Uh, yes, sir. That's how he won the match was with the sharpshooter. Exactly. Such a great match, especially with me being a giant uh, Owen Hart fan. Uh, used to love him, his character, and to see a tribute like that was great. I mean, it, it's sad how he passed away, but uh, seeing two men, especially uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, personal, maybe Rob Mar- Mar- Rushmore of uh, wrestlers, uh, uh, Bret Hart on there. It was a great match. 100%. Yes, uh, because so let's take a, si- a side note real quick. Mm-hmm. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers? Uh, so again, this is our, our, our first episode. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about me, especially uh, going on. If we're going to keep on doing this podcast, uh, we'll keep on bringing them. Uh, I'm a giant heel person. Uh, if you don't know what a heel person is, uh, is someone who's a bad guy in wrestling terms. Bad guy. Yes. The person you're supposed to boo. Yes. Boo. Boo. You're, and when they do something, you have to be shocked about it or you can't be shocked about it because he's a bad guy. Anyways, uh, I love the bad guys. So let's see. My route Rushmore would have to be Macho Man. Uh, again, uh, I love Macho Man when I was a kid. Uh, he was just amazing what he could do. Cut a promo, drop that elbow drop was amazing. Uh, Bre- <laughs> exactly, brother. Uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, Bret Hart. Again, uh, always I love a technician. Bret Hart's on there. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Latino, he, he is definitely on my list. And, uh, you know, as much as I don't like him, I definitely liked him at the beginning. I'm going to have to put John Cena on there. John Cena, okay. John okay. Cena, just because he, he knew how to keep himself relevant. He changed up. I don't like him right now because, you know, he's uh, the Superman of WWE, but... I would have to put him on there just because uh, at the time, uh, that was at a time where I really maybe stopped watching wrestling for a little bit, and he came back. I was like, okay, I can dig this character. And uh, seeing him on the SmackDown with uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, like we're talking about, was great. Right. All right, so um, going on to January of 2000, Benoit defeated Sid Vicious at, a, at the pay-per-view sold out and won the world title then. Hmm? Now, the very next day, Due to disagreements with management and the head booker, who was Kevin Sullivan, he quit and uh, he went back to Japan. Okay, so so he stayed in Japan for a few weeks. And in 2000, Benoit, along with Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, joined the WWF. They came in at, in the audience and they were dubbed the Radicals. So what are your thoughts on and the remembrance of the radicals. Oh man, I, I remember that watching that live on Monday Night Raw on the couch with my dad, and they showed up in WWF and sit right there in the front quarter. Uh, who it was? Steve Blackman, uh, Al Snow, and against that New Age Outlaws, right? Yes, yes, it was them exactly. Same front row, and then they started beating them down. I got so hyped because I knew exactly who these four guys were, uh, especially tuning to the WCW every so often, especially seeing. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, D. Malenko, because honestly, they were the only reason why I really watched WCW was because the Cruiserweight division that had all those names. 
Um, that cruiserweight division was insane. Hot. Uh, Jericho, uh, Rey Mysterio, um, Aparka, <laughs> Hoovy. Aparka, the chairman of the WCW. Exactly. And then Hoover Tooker. You had a lot of stars back then. And yes. um, just just watching that, like, I, I knew who they were, especially since I knew um, they were coming in and I've seen them and they. That headbutt, man, where Benoit came off the top rope, I was like, yeah, this guy's going to be legit. And for a little bit, I felt like he was going to be the major star out of the group, and he definitely was with uh, Eddie. Yes, definitely. I always remember Saturn's hat. It was a weird-looking hat that he came in with. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like the top of a, of a sugar canister. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Oh, coming to America hat. There you go. With Eddie. <laughs> there we go. Perfectly. Perfect. That had always killed me. And it, it was great seeing them show up, and then they beat the hell out of uh, the New Age Outlaws, who were huge at the time. Uh, Definitely. Their pop was amazing, but seeing that, that was great. And especially to see what were that, that where that was going to go, because this is a point in time where everybody was jumping ships uh, from show yep. to show. You didn't know who you're going to see from week to week. Exactly, and it, it was man, wrestling was so good at that time. It was great. You you definitely had to have your remote next to you. And you had to have your button on that, you know, back button so you know exactly yep. what was going on. Because there was a lot of stuff that was going on in WCW and WWE that was a lot of crap. So you had to go between yeah. them. And then when something was hot, you would just be there. And then, wait, when that done, you switch right back to the other channel. And I remember being a kid, I used to get yelled at by my parents to stop playing with the damn remote. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, one month into his WWF career at WrestleMania 2000, he won his first WWE Intercontinental title, defeating Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle in a triple threat match. That, um, that was a great match, and I also did a little research on that. It was actually Kurt Angle and Jericho's first uh, WrestleMania match, wasn't it? All three. Okay, well then, if I guess if that's all them, that was their uh, they they popped their WrestleMania virg virginity with each other. So I, I believe so. I believe I saw that. I don't hundred percent a hundred percent know, but I will double check for the second episode, and you guys can shame me later on if I'm wrong. Boo me, yes me, if I get it right. Boo you, <laughs> yeah, boo yeah. Me. <laughs> but if not, yeah. Keep in mind this is our first episode, so we're going. We're we're using what we got. All right. <laughs> That right there uh, sparked a feud between Benoit and Jericho, and it lasted almost a year. They had matches at Backlash, Judgment Day, and SummerSlam, with Benoit winning all of them. The feud ended at the uh, Royal Rumble of 2001 in a ladder match with Chris Jericho finally winning, and he finally won the title. Great match. Uh, I remember that watching that live as well, uh, especially being young, uh, where we had the the bootleg boxes <laughs> tuning in. <laughs> the hot box. The hot box, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember watching that match, another great match that you, you should definitely tune in if you have the WWE Network or YouTube. Uh, something to watch, uh, especially with the time like going on right now. Uh, tune into that. You'll definitely be entertained, especially what they were doing at the time. Uh, it was great, especially also with uh, the commentary with JR and, and I believe King at the time. Uh, great One stuff. One of the best, best duels of all time. I think... People say Bobby the Brain and, and, and Gorilla Masu were the best. Yes. They were phenomenal, but in my opinion, the King and JR were, were the top number ones. Oh, definitely, definitely top number one. Number two, I would definitely, uh, watching a lot of the WCW stuff uh, in the past as well as right now, I have to give it up to Tony Schiavone and uh, Bobby the Brain Heaton. And yeah. who was the other guy? I, I completely... Mike Tenay. There you go, Mike Tenay. The yes. Professor Mike Tenay. There you go. He was phenomenal. Uh, he, he was the WCW's version of JR. There, yes, all information. He knew exactly what was going on, knew all the moves. 
Um, also, uh, side note, since we definitely spoke about my rush, my route, my Mount Rushmore, what is your Mount Rushmore wrestling, D? Okay, here we go. So, uh, my Mount Rushmore, okay, so we're going to definitely have the immortal Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. We have the Hitman Bret Hart because, like, <laughs> I love that dude, man. Like, I just, I love the underdog aspect he always brought to everything and his technical moves. And no, and no matter what you did, he had a counter for that. He did. Um, uh, also, he took the business very seriously, which I really loved. Like, he, he loved everything about it. He knew everything about it. Uh, right. Also, um, you said your uh, first pick was, uh, say that one more time, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hulk Hogan again, a big name, not a big fan over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, Brett, yeah, good. I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead. Uh, definitely, Bret Hart's on there. Hulk Hogan, great choice again, especially another icon in the wrestling. Um, okay. The HBK Shawn Michaels, the one, the great, the greatest, my opinion, the greatest wrestler of all time. I don't care. I love him from beginning to end. He was amazing. I everything he did, I'm, I'm, amazing. 100 percent agree. Every match he had was uh, amazing. Uh, the the man who pretty much revolutionized uh, the super kick. Yep, it, it used to be called the savat kick. <laughs> the savat. <laughs> there you go. Then it turned into sweet chin music and all yep. this history. Yeah, and my last one, the dead man, the Undertaker. Oh. That's my Mount Rushmore: Hogan, Bret, Shawn Michaels, and the Undertaker. All legends. All, all legends. I love it. And all WWF characters. So you could you could see what I grew up watching. Yeah, uh, a little bit of mixture of everything, uh, just like myself. Um, well, let's see. Uh, go ahead, continue. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Now, moving on with 2001, he had an amazing feud, amazing feud with Kurt Angle, and which ended at WrestleMania 17 in one of the matches that was mind blowing. I know you spoke to me about that this match. What are your thoughts on this? This personally is maybe top Benoit match because this had prime Kurt Angle with a hairline (laughs) (laughs) that was disappearing, Mm -hmm. putting on five-star classes with another man who was known for five-star classic and a technical beast like Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit. This match had everything from stiff shots, German suplex, false finishes, and then the ending where it continued the feud where he rolled them up uh, with the package holding the tights where it confused, uh, ki- what Did it continue the feud after that? Or no, was no, that, that, that match ended it. That ended it right there. Oh, okay. And then that's when uh, he – he um, this was around the time he was with the Radicals, right? Or he got kicked out and yes, he was by right. himself. Yeah, he's by himself. What I love this match was there was a counter and then a counter for the counter, and they oh. just kept – the chain wrestling in that was amazing. So fluid. You have to be a fan of wrestling, just with, of just amateur wrestling, with that. That was like it was so much realism to that match, man. It was phenomenal, and this was one of the matches you watched that you had no idea who was going to win. Uh, especially at that WrestleMania, that whole card was stacked from Stone Cold versus The Rock, and then you had uh, the what TLC two was it? Yep, and not uh, only that, the debut of the American Badass. There you go, and they, just this whole pay per view. Now, this match I felt like was maybe slept on. Honestly, yeah. it could it yeah. could be very slept on, especially uh, this was when wrestling at the time because Stone Cold became friends with or McMahon. aligned himself with McMahon and yep. everybody was pissed and wrestling went down the shitter after that. Yeah. I uh, want to correct myself. This wasn't the debut of the American Badass. The American Badass 
a debut uh, a month before a judgment day. But still, this was still in the beginning of his time, man. And, mm-hmm. and I love, I love that's my favorite incarnation of Untek was the was the American Badass because it was real, you know. Like the Dead Man is awesome, but I don't know the Badass to me is. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, I I love Undertaker when he was with the Ministry of Darkness. Oh uh, yes, that was a great th- Taker too. That was what I think Prime Taker. His whole outfit was amazing. His gestures, his everything. That was just. Prime Undertaker talking in tongues. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> I, when I was younger, I was pretty afraid of him. I'm not gonna lie. He creeped me out a little bit when he did shit like that. And um, you can even uh, at one point in time, I like I said, I always grew up watching wrestling with my dad. When he came on, I was always hiding behind him, like, "Yo, what's this guy gonna do this time?" And he's sacrificing people and then getting his whole. Remember, he together. crucified Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes, and Stone Cold was still talking <laughs> shit up there. Yeah. Still, Stone Cold, man, one of the greatest. Uh, wrestlers ever, biggest badass in wrestling, still talking shit from across up there, still talking, and he still wanted some. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on this with the McMahon Stone Cold dynamic. It was it was garbage. Yeah, like, that it didn't that, match him. It, it didn't like that was one of the biggest feuds, and then to see Stone Cold just shake his hand and drink a beer, it was just like, what is this? And it turned out a lot of people from wrestling like that pretty much killed wrestling for a while. Yeah, see, because well, the one thing about Steve Austin was that he had this, like every working man felt him, like yeah, kick your boss's ass, fuck mm-hmm. your boss, and and we were loving that to turn around to become the boss's best friend. Like, come on, man. Yeah, that that whole thing was just uh, a whole letdown because the the whole build up to Stone Cold and The Rock was amazing. Uh, it was uh. Stone Cold was it? Stone Cold could never beat The Rock, or The Rock couldn't be The Rock could never be Stone Cold. Yes, and it was just like, all right, well, that was just the end of it because that's when The Rock yeah. went to WrestleMania. Stone Cold was pretty much almost done with his tank was almost done because of his neck, and it was just, uh that was yeah. a, uh, a bad time. <laughs> I believe I believe two thousand two was their last match. Was The Rock Austin three when The Rock finally beat Steve Austin. Yeah, great match. Um, and honestly, I love when those two came together because when the Rocks took the stunner all times, he would always just throw himself everywhere. It was great. Best, best, <laughs> the th- best. yo, the best, best. <laughs> the best at taking. The, you can mark this down. The best person to ever take a stunner was the Rock, and I'm gonna say oh. close second was Scott Hall. I Scott Hall. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Anytime he, when he took the stunner, it was great. He just bounced up. It was great. And he got stiff. It was amazing. But no one yeah, could take Scott a stunner Hall. like the rock. No. <laughs> oh, and nobody could take a stunner like McMahon. Remember that first one? Oh, oh, that ugly thing where his whole body just crumbled right over. It was horrible. And he started twitching and stuff. Started twi- <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. If he would have hit that perfectly, a good stunner, he started twitching, it would have been great. But that yeah. was just so ugly. <laughs> I saw this uh, interview where Chris Jericho said when uh, – he gave when Stone Cold Steve Austin gave Vince McMahon the stunner. It looked like he stunned a water bottle the way he, he took it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It was one of those times where, oh uh, man, you've seen so many people take the stunner and sell it, and then this big time where these guys start their feud, he gets yes. his stunner. But years after that, so he 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 grew a pair and took the whole stunner every single time. Yeah. And, and well, I, that's the first time ever anybody has ever put their hands on McMahon ever, ever. So. And that that's what made it so. So great. And then yeah. when that WrestleMania came and then when he came together, it was just like that was how many years? Almost three years, four years? How long yeah. ago? Uh, 2000, yeah, about three years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, it, and the way it just ended was like, 
really? This is this is not the Stone Cold yeah. we like. Don't get me wrong. He had his moments where he would wear the little cowboy hat, play his guitar, yes. started yes. the whole what thing. But and Kurt Angle came into that too, being the comic relief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just another guy who who shined uh, at at a time like that, uh, especially with The Rock going away and Stone Cold not having very matches. Uh, having Kurt Angle be there for comedy support, which I never knew he had, yeah. and I've yeah. always laughed when those two were together Great. because uh, Stone Cold tre- kept treating Kurt Angle like garbage, and Kurt Angle kept on coming back. <laughs> The great thing about Kurt Angle, he had that white bread Wally Cleaver like character to a T. Like he was just so good, clean, and wholesome yeah. that it was funny. It, it was great, uh, and he he always had a smile on every single time he showed up, and just a yeah. little funny remark that, or even Stone Cold just looked at him the wrong way, like what the hell is this guy doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. What one of the funniest things that I remember was when Kurt Angle was going against the badass Undertaker mm-hmm. and he came out on a scooter with a big old helmet and was trying to be all cool with this little like Vespa man <laughs> I remember that man remember bro that. that was classic uh, yeah, the, the, uh, like uh, again uh, WWE had a lot of good things going back then it was Stone Cold The Rock uh, Kurt Angle just being a comedy relief was gold uh, but DX just, how about DX DX uh, another big name like if you don't know who DX is where have you been in the wrestling world uh, Your ass better call somebody. Exactly. Remember doing the cross chop at school, getting yeah. in trouble and all Suspended. that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can't wear the DX shirts to school. It was a great time to be a wrestling fan, yeah. especially at that age. <laughs> Which is a great way. So we go from DX to Triple H to Stone Cold and the the McMenley, the Mc, the, the two-man power trip, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and Triple H. Your thoughts on that? Uh, a great team, two big names, uh, especially with them together. Uh and that's when uh, Triple H blew out his quad, right? Or- yes, that's exactly what I'm getting to. In 2001, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho defeated uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H in that match to become the World Tag Team Champions. Uh, um, yeah, so um, yeah, uh, that ended actually. They they were a great time, a great team. I think it was the wrong time, though, honestly. Yeah, there, like, was, there was a at, lot at of their point in the at, at their point in their career. I don't, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. Honestly, I didn't enjoy it. No, it was I, trash. Uh, honestly, that's something that they should have stood away. What well, stood away from? Um, I don't know. Uh, especially when Triple H got hurt, and he, I don't know. It, it just left both people in an awkward state. Especially since yeah. Stone Cold was with Triple H, and then you had these two together. It just yeah. it never made sense because after no, they got it hurt, it was over. Yeah. yeah, it didn't jive yeah. together. And this is when McMahon, uh, I mean, when Steph, uh, Stephanie McMahon was with Triple H and Steve Austin was with Vince McMahon. It just, uh, it just, it didn't feel right. It was, it was, tra- honestly, in my opinion, it was trash. They had every single title. Steve Austin had the world title. Mm-hmm. Triple H had the uh, Intercontinental title and they had the tag team title. Like that was just too much. It was too much, you know? Well, uh, one thing that we got out of that whole thing was that great uh, match with Triple H and Jeff Hardy. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, absolutely. That was a good one. That put, uh, put Jeff Hardy on the map. Um, yep, but it, another. What thing. made me take uh, notice to Jeff Hardy was he had a, a match with him and, and the Undertaker, but Undertaker beat the piss out of him. Like ladder match. Then at the end of the match, yeah, the ladder match, and at the end of the match, Jeff was like, "I'm still standing. I'm still standing." <laughs> and Taker came back, and you thought he was. It was like you got a kid. Yeah, he, he thought you were gonna whip him. He's like, "You got a kid." Uh, Smacked him on the shoulder and walked away. We're getting sidetracked, but the greatest Undertaker ass whooping was what he did to Maven. Oh, with the, the chair? Yeah, he killed Maven. Uh, 
that all right. I, that guy, I don't know. Whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> oh, it's, I heard he's a bouncer in New York City now. That's what I heard. Oh, well, good news, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. So um, after that abortion of a tag team with uh, McMahon, I mean, with, with Triple H and Steve Austin, they went, uh, we, they went back to Seagulls Wrestling. And now at uh, the King of the Ring of 2001, it was Chris Jericho versus um, Steve Austin versus Chris Benoit in a triple threat match. Um, a couple weeks earlier, Benoit injured himself, so this was his last match for for a whole entire year, and he missed the, the invasion angle. Uh, he missed all that for a whole entire year. Oh, um, the disappointment of the invasion angle. Let's not talk about the atrocity. Okay, <laughs> moving on because it had so much potential. It did. Moving on. Moving on. So what? <laughs> when, when Chris Benoit came back, this is when they had the brand split and they had the. They had the different brands, and Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle actually defeated the Los Guerreros in the finals of a tag team tournament to become the first ever WWE tag team champions for the SmackDown brand. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, let, let's talk about both teams that uh, you have here fighting for the titles. You got Benoit and Kurt Angle. Amazing. Uh, great technical people, and then you have one of the greatest tag teams put together with the Los Guerreros, with Chavo Guerrero, and Eddie Guerrero together, like Viva la Raza. You lie, you cheat. They still do the promos that you they used to do together, where they used to <laughs> steal from the rich and all that stuff was great. Yeah, uh, great. But to have all four of these guys in one match uh, again, that's another thing that you have to tune in if you haven't seen it. That's another great match, uh, especially uh, with Eddie and Chavo having those titles. There was a lot of great rivalries that came out of them having that. Definitely. So. Um... At the 2003 Royal Rumble, he had a rematch, a rematch, excuse me, a rematch with Kurt Angle, which he lost. So, actually, in that match, after it was over, he re- he received a standing ovation that lasted for a few minutes. Okay. So, uh, in my, in your opinion, which match was better, the 2003 Royal Rumble Angle Benoit or the WrestleMania 17 Angle and Benoit? Ah, that's a hard choice. Um, I don't know. There's. I've always said there's nothing like the original, and yeah, I will definitely absolutely. stick to that. The first one was a great match, especially since it built up to a second match, and that that rivalry like continued and then stopped, and they came back to it all the single time. Anytime they put on a great match, I mean, every time they got together, it was always a great match. Um, but again, this is a, another match where, like you said, he had a standing ovation. At this point in time, you can definitely see that they had a star on their hands at that point. Exactly. And, uh, and later on in that night, I'm excuse you. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. In 2000, okay. Now let's fast forward to the Survivor Series. He was in a, in a. The, he was on the Team Angle versus Team Lesnar match. Now Benoit, I think, if I can remember, he's been the only man to make Brock Lesnar tap out. because uh, he eliminated Brock Lesnar in that match with the crippler crossface. Maybe. Um, I'm gonna have to check that. Yeah. Uh, you might be right because I don't think the only yeah. person you really. And he probably was Kurt Angle, but I don't think Kurt Angle ever beat him at that time, did he? No, he uh, he beat him at, at the the WrestleMania before that, but uh, he never never on a tap out though. Nobody, I can never, I can't imagine anybody or remember anybody who made him tap out. You know, hmm. that's great. I honestly didn't know that either, man. Man, you're yeah. doing your research over here, D. <laughs> I try, man. I try, brother. <laughs> All right, so um, moving on. Um, in 2004. He was the second man to come in number one in the Royal Rumble and win the whole entire thing by eliminating the Big Show at the end. 
Remember that? Do you remember that match right there? The 2004 Royal Rumble? I do, where he picked him up and threw him right over the top rope. That's when uh, the Big Show, he looked like his happiest, wasn't he? At that point in time? Yeah, yeah. And I remember he threw John Cena out that match and, like, destroyed his knee. Oh, yeah. He, like, the way John Cena landed. Yeah, right on his knee. He came down the wrong way. And then as soon as like, the yeah. camera pulled away, when he ran right right to his leg. Yeah. So, um, another. So now this is where this is where Chris Jericho, um, excuse me, Chris Benoit and and Eddie Guerrero. There, that's when they're like stars, bro. Uh, they're stars right here. Yes, uh, this is a time of wrestling where I loved it personally because, uh, again, I'm a big Eddie Guerrero fan, and just having Chris Benoit there because I love technical wrestlers. I, I love people who can talk on the mic, and to have both these guys, uh, pretty much going to be world champions uh, coming up. It's it was an exciting time. <laughs> Truth be told, I, I missed wrestling for three years, and uh, I joined the Army, and then, you know, stuff was going on, so I watched zero wrestling. So when I came back, it was really hard for me to get back into it. I, I, I just didn't know who a lot of guys were. Like, I remember just, I remember turning on, and there was these Basham guys. Like, who the heck are these oh, guys? And it, they just, <laughs> it just, it, it was really hard, but I, I broke down, and I forced myself to order the the 2004 Royal Rumble. That was my first pay-per-view that I watched since I was coming back from the Army and getting out. And I, I was like, wow, man. And I, I remember Chris Benoit as the, you know, like the, 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 the mid-carter Chris Benoit. I didn't see him as the star until they made him. And this is where he came back, and he was looked at as a, a main eventer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when he was super huge. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to get back to that subject of uh, juicing a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. At this point, he, he found a loophole. Instead of challenging for the WWE title with um with SmackDown brand, he wanted the, the World Heavyweight title with... Um, Triple H. Triple H, yes. But Triple H was in, involved in a feud with Shawn Michaels at the time that kept coming up in draws. Mm-hmm. So they had unfinished business. So I remember when Chris Benoit signed the, the contract to uh, fight Triple H, uh, Shawn Michaels' sweet chin music... Sweet Chin music him and put his name on the dotted line as well, thus making this the triple threat. Triple threat. And uh, we're, well, we're definitely going to be talking about this because this is another great match that, uh, uh, man, uh, unfortunately, uh, what went down in the future, uh, pretty much no one acknowledges anymore. But this yeah. this match, especially the buildup was great. The promos, uh, the... Uh, the little 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 video loops that they had before the matches, it just build up was amazing. Definitely, definitely. So now we go to WrestleMania 20, Madison Square Garden, the second pay-per-view I ordered since I've been back from the military. You had that this moment, uh, Chris Benoit making Triple H tap out, and then Eddie Guerrero coming out. What were your thoughts on that moment right there? Uh, when they embrace, man, uh, that's another – I'm not going to lie. At, at this point in time uh, – I have uh, a lot of memorabilia, and that's uh, one of the pictures that I do have hanging up uh, next to an action figure of Eddie Guerrero. Uh, just that's one of my favorite moments, uh, especially in wrestling history, because both those men worked their asses off from uh, wrestling in uh, Mexico, uh, New Japan, WCW, and then finally coming to where, you know, this is the, where you have to be. This is where you know you made it was in WWF, WWE at the time. And for both those men to hold those titles and, again, just being great technical wrestlers, uh, I, I loved it even more. 
Yes, definitely. Like that was that was a great moment, and you know, like I was happy to see that because you know, you know, being Hispanic and Latino, seeing Eddie Guerrero, that, you know, he's represented all of us. Exactly you know? uh, the way like we, he 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 knew he was one of us. If you could def- definitely say that, yeah, definitely. Um, it was just just great. It was it was just great all around, you know. Um, so the very next month at the very next month at Backlash, there was a rematch this time in his hometown of Edmonton, Canada. And the great thing about this was he pushed Shawn Michaels in the sharpshooter and made Shawn Michaels submit. <laughs> and that, that harkens back to the Montreal Screwjob when Shawn Michaels was put in the put Bret Hart in the sharpshooter. And I feel like it came full cir- circle with that, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, uh, again, with the, the Montreal Screwjob, that was another big thing in wrestling history uh, that we'll probably talk on another podcast, but... Uh, we would definitely be talking about that. That changed wrestling history, but for that to come full circle and to see him tap tap out to the sharpshooter was great. Definitely. Um, so then the very next night on, on Raw, him, uh, Chris Benoit, and Edge defeated Batista and Ric Flair, making him a double champion, a tag team champion, and and the world champion. Great job. So just an- an- another thing that he can definitely say. Um, Chris Benoit, who who do you know that can win, like go two matches in a night? You know that's that's just phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. What well, this this was uh, uh the, the very next night. Oh, the very that, next night. Oh, match. I thought you saw. <laughs> yeah, on Raw. No, no, it was, he had that match, that triple threat rematch at Backlash, mm-hmm. in Edmonton, and in the very next ma- uh in the very next night in Montreal in his hometown, he uh oh, I'm saying that wrong. In Edmonton was his hometown, mm-hmm. is when he had a triple threat match, and the next night in Montreal, is when him and Edge defeated um. Batista Ric Flair, who was part of the uh, uh, Evolution um, stable. Oh, man. I, so. I, I Honestly, until you actually said that, uh, I completely forgot that Edge and Chris Benoit yeah. were a group. That's another underrated tag team that were together that I completely forgot about. Yeah. Yep. So um, now of uh, August 24th of 2004, Benoit lost the title to Edge. I mean, excuse me, to, to Randy Orton, which uh, created the whole – Randy Orton leaving the um, evolution. evolution. So we're not going to get involved in that. We're not even going to talk about that for now. So afterwards, um, we had the first ever Money money in the Bank. That was Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Shelton Benjamin, Kane, and Christian. What are your thoughts on Classic. that? The, the 2005 WrestleMania. Classic. Yes. I remember watching that for the first time. Uh, just I've never seen a ladder match with that many people in it. Uh, especially to have a WWE, WWF championship that you can t- cash in at any time. So it, it was right. great. And um, just the amount of things and the, the star power that they had in there. I mean, a lot of underrated people, like you mentioned, Shelton Benjamin, very underrated. The things that he was doing in that match, uh, jumping from the top rope, it was great. And, and the ending was great, too. Uh, that ended with Edge hitting uh, Chris uh, Benoit with the title on the arm, correct? No, with the ladder. Oh, he hit him ladder, with the ladder, yes. and he t- he won it. Yes. Now, see what well, my my remembrance of that match, and it was cool. It was during the entrances when Kane finally came out, and his fire went up, and he was coming out as his monster, but all the ladders got set oh, on fire. Yeah. And, and you could tell, you could tell he didn't even know that was gonna happen because he started looking around, and he had the biggest smile on his face because that just looked so awesome. That was a great visual right uh, there. Uh, another. Uh, that's a, another great. Uh, like you said, another great visual. That's another great entrance. Uh, for WrestleMania, that's a, another topic for another day as well. Greatest entrances of WrestleMania because there's definitely is a lot, and that's a, definitely on the top ten right there. Oh, that that's that's another show. 
we have to do in the future the best WrestleMania entrances because there's so many to list, you know? Yeah, there definitely is that, but that Kane one is definitely in the top 10. All right, so um, after this happened with uh, the Money in the Bank, Edge and uh, Chris Benoit had a long feud. And it culminated during uh, at the last. It was a last man standing match with uh, hidden edge. One that he hit Chris Benoit in the head with the brick. So you know, like these. Uh, obviously, it was a gimmick brick, but um, all these headshots, they definitely had to. You know, they, well, obviously, science science proved that it added up to you know. Well, we're gonna talk about later on in the show, but you know, it, this man gave his his life and his body for this business. You know. Uh- Definitely. Uh, a lot of these uh, headshots are, are definitely what caused a lot of things that we're going to talk about later again, like you said, D. But uh, the, even though it is a a, a, a brick uh, that is supposed to be, you know, how can I say? Gimmick. Gimmick, exactly. Uh, it definitely is an impact to the head, which after all these years, because uh, watching that documentary of Vice, that's all Chris Benoit used to do was wrestling. That was his first job and his last job. Yeah. And even in, in the documentary that stuck with me, for somebody who loved his uh, craft, mm-hmm. if he would have known that his whole entire body of work was going to be erased, I think he would have went that way, you know? Ah, uh, man. Uh, that was a, a good point that Chris Benoit, I mean, uh, Chris Jericho said, and you bring it up is a great point. Like, I can only imagine how he would feel, like, the business that he loved. Like, he put his heart and soul, blood, sweat, tears, whatever you want to say, into it, and just to be erased. Uh that was definitely something I think uh, if he could, I mean, even wherever the hell he is at this point in heaven or hell, uh, definitely is something that's something to talk about at a different time. But <laughs> it, it's just who, who knows how he would feel, uh, especially yeah. knowing that this, the thing that he loves so well that it could potentially destroy wrestling at that point in time. All right. Now, moving along. Now, we're going to start talking about a somber time that's really sad in wrestling. I'm going to read right here uh, from the notes. It says, on November 13, 2005, Eddie Guerrero was found in his hotel room. The following night, Raw held a Guerrero tribute show hosted by both Raw and SmackDown wrestlers. Benoit was devastated at the loss of his best friend and was very emotional during the series of video testimonials, eventually breaking down on camera. It was sad, man. Those videos were really sad. And you saw the pain in his face. You heard the heartbreak in his voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, a lot of uh, oh, uh, no. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Go ahead. A lot of colleagues said that after that, after that death of Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit was never the same. Ever. He was never the same. Uh, yeah, just hearing the documentary about when Eddie died, and again, I'm a big Eddie Guerrero fan, and just hearing that part, uh, you can ask my wife when they started saying all that stuff and showing like the visuals, I started to choke up. Uh, I actually had to yeah. pause the video, go to the kitchen, take a deep breath sip a beer and go sit back down you know it was that that type of like it hurt me uh but uh, that was just me being a wrestling fan and now imagine that's your best friend for how long now since japan mexico traveling all over the world the only person that he could really talk about talk to you know and then when when he died uh, like 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 you said that he just completely shut out the world it just became quiet and all and uh, again losing a friend like that i mean definitely took a toll on him yeah, the same the same week of the tribute show on SmackDown, Benoit 
and Triple H had a, a match in tribute to Eddie Guerrero, which uh, Benoit won. And following the match, Benoit, Triple H, and the, Dean Malenko were all in the ring, and they all pointed to the sky to salute Eddie Guerrero. You know, I think that was a great, beautiful gesture right there. So and then, uh, again, okay, moving on. Okay, I'm sorry, I was gonna say again you, that, you that, that was another great tribute match. Uh, I, I, you know what? Uh, when stuff like this is a tragedy, uh, but when they do like a great trade match, that's, that's something that you can definitely recognize. Definitely, definitely. So moving on, um, and later on in 2005, he had the best of seven matches with uh, Booker T great. for the United States Championship, which is reminiscent to the the best of seven that is really forgettable, uh, forgettable in WCW with Booker T and Chris Benoit. You could tell that they, I guess, ran out of stories or just wants to bring it back, but you know. What it, it was, what it was. Now, in those series, uh, Booker T won the first three matches in a row with his with his uh, help from his wife, Queen Charmel, because this is when Booker T was a king. Booker. Booker. So, <laughs> so uh, Charmel helped him, but on the third match, uh, Booker T got a a, a bad um, groin injury that he had to step out of it. So he, um, they put in uh, Randy Orton to finish the matches, and at the at the next pay per view of um, where was that? The next pay per view, uh, at a, there was a no holds bar match with Orton on on Smack. And no, I'm sorry, it was uh, it was uh, on a SmackDown. The the match seven, it was Orton versus um, oh Chris Benoit, which. Or in one with outside interference from Booker T and or King Booker and, and Queen Charmel. Now, after he got better, they had their final match. Um, it was a no holds barred match and no way out, and it was the last chance that Chris Benoit had to get it to have a, a title shot for the United States Championship, which he won for um, with the Crippler Crossface. So, um, okay, there we go. Okay, so uh, the next week on SmackDown. Benoit Kayfay broke JBL's match. I mean, broke broke JBL's neck, but it was actually because JBL had to get out and, and needed surgery. So, you know, he, uh, throughout 2006, he feuded with Mark Henry, William Regal, Mr. Kennedy, Chavo Guerrero, MVP, and uh, MVP beat him at Judgment Day of that year of 2007 to win um the world title. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, so now here we go now. I was going to say, you can't forget uh, where he won the U.S. title from Jason Jordan in a matter of seconds. Oh, yeah, we can't forget about that. That that was – which that took a couple of SmackDown episodes where he kept on beating Jason Jordan's under like five seconds, 15 seconds or something. That was a great stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it was Orlando Jordan. Orla- Orlando yeah, Jordan. Was Jason Jordan. <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong Jordan. <laughs> Wrong, guy. wrong wrong one, both gay. Yeah. But moving on. <laughs> uh, now, uh, it's too, later in uh, 2007, he was drafted from SmackDown to ECW as part of the 2007 WWE draft, and um, he was set to take on Elijah Burke uh, for the ECW World Championship at Vengeance on June 24th. Now, um, prior to that pay per view. Benoit missed the weekend house shows, telling officials that his wife and son were his wife and son were vomiting blood due to food poisoning. When he failed up to show up for the pay per view, uh, uh, viewers were informed that the company was able 
he was not able to come because of family emergency. He was placed in a match by Johnny Nitro, who won the match to become the first ever WWF ECW champion. Uh, it's funny because throughout the whole match, the crowd was was chanting Benoit, Benoit, Benoit. And um, this is where it gets really sad, at, brother. This is where it gets really sad. Um, he was actually supposed to win the ECW. the um the the world the ECW World Championship. Now, um, this is where we're gonna start. You know, this is where it gets really deep. At um, this... on June twenty fifth, police entered his home in Fayetteville, Georgia, when WWE uh, called the cops and wanted a a welfare check after Benoit missed the weekend events without notice, leading to concerns. The officers discovered discovered the body of Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their seven year old son Daniel at around two thirty p.m. Um, upon investigation, no additional suspects were sought by the authorities. You know, it was determined to be a, a murder suicide. Um, he, uh, well, what was, what was, this is, this is where me and you are going to bump heads on this one right here. Yeah. Okay, you, you ready for the controversy? <laughs> this is where it's at right here. Um, the authorities stated that, uh, he, he, uh, was, um, authorities stated that he, the first night, Friday night, he strangled Nancy with a phone cord and broke her back. Um, the next, uh, and then he, he, that was Friday night, and he wrapped her body in a blanket, placed the Bible next to her body. The very next day, he, uh, and this is what the authorities said, you know, I'm going off of that. He uh, gave his son a lot of Xanax to put him at ease and suffocated him, and he did the same thing. Uh, he placed a bottle, a Bible, by his uh, son, and then he, um, according to authorities, he went on YouTube, or not YouTube, on on Google, and was searching the quickest way to kill yourself. He, um, he loaded the weight, uh, his weight pulley system to two hundred twenty-five or two hundred forty pounds, wrapped the towel around his neck, put the the cable around it, and pulled it, and thus is the end of Chris Benoit. That's what the that's the authorities account. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, again, this is where we get to a lot of controversy, and um, it, it's hard for me to separate the two. Uh, it, it's it's pretty hard because being a big Chris Benoit fan, and then him being outside, like I will never forget Chris Benoit as a as a wrestler, but. If this is something that he truly did, I mean, it's despicable. Uh, that's why a lot of people are erasing his name from history, uh, especially to kill your son and your wife. And it was all premeditated, all that stuff. Uh, it sucks because there's a, a lot of wrestling fans who want to see him in like the Hall of Fame, want him to be recognized because he put on a hell of a lot of great matches. Uh, and phenomenal, exactly. And uh, another one, like we were mentioning, when he had the match with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, a phenomenal match with three superstars. They will never talk about it again. Again, at the beginning of the podcast, it's, it's it is. Sad. Like I said at the beginning of the po- podcast, he who shall not be named, Chris Benoit, you cannot say a word about his name. You can't because of, of this, and it sucks. <laughs> and then it always trips me out when they, they say, Shawn Michaels, the only man to ever come in at number one and win the Royal Rumble. No, nope. that's not true. Chris Benoit, but you can't talk you about can't. it, and it, it's 
Which, which is crazy because there's a lot of controversy in wrestling. Like we will talk about a lot of these next time. But this is the one yeah. in particular where everyone has agreed that Chris Benoit's name will never be brought up ever. Yeah. Um, now they they did a Chris Nowitzki, a former WWE wrestler. He actually talked to Chris Benoit's father, Michael Benoit, to get his brain to do testing on it, to study on on CTE. Okay, and this is my opinion. I don't, I don't, I, I, yes, Chris Benoit had a CTE, um, he had effects of it, but when they go on to say that he had the, the, the brain of an 85 year old Alzheimer's patient, which is a lot of narrative that I'm hearing that I've read, I can't believe that. Like, I, I don't believe that because 85 year old Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's patients aren't wrestling matches, yeah. they're not booking hotel rooms, they're not booking flights. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? So that's why I, I just feel that's a cop out on people's uh, part to try to humanize the whole situation or try to make excuse or justify it, you know, and it's, he did what he did. And in my opinion, yo, he's fucked up, bro. That's, I agree. I mean, def- uh, that's the thing. I mean, he, he is definitely is fucked up what he did, but like myself, loving wrestling for so much and seeing exactly what he, he put into wrestling, some of the things he did, it's hard to decipher which, you know, like, oh, I can't, I don't like Chris Benoit, but I love his character, you know? It's just, it, it yeah. sucks as a wrestling fan who truly loves wrestling. It's hard yeah. to be like, damn, you know, he really did do this shit. Yeah, and what I talked about, we watched that Vice earlier, and uh, it elicited emotion. I was, I was pissed off. I was pissed. You read my oh, Facebook yes. post. I wrote that immediately after I saw that, and I was angry. And you know what? That post is why we're here it today. Is? Because you brought up the suggestion. What about a podcast? And here we are, two lifelong wrestling fans, you know? So. Uh, and it, it it really does suck because um, I would love to see nothing else besides Chris Benoit's name in the Hall of Fame. But it would never happen just because of all this. Now, now they have uh, conspiracy theories about this whole yeah. thing. Have you ever heard the conspiracy I theories? I've heard uh, two of them. Uh, one of okay. them. No, no, you go. You tell me your conspiracy theories. The one theories. I heard was well, two of them that I heard was one, uh, the mafia killed him, uh, something with the mafia. Okay. Also, uh, something with Kevin Sullivan. Uh, that, I, I never heard the mafia one. I heard the one with Kevin. Yeah, Sullivan. No, he had like a satanic cult or something like that, or he had something to do with it. Yeah, but <laughs> again, these are are all just rumors. But yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of them, and a lot of them are like, okay, those are just really out there. But who? But I mean, again, being a wrestling fan, I'm like, damn, I hope he really didn't do it. But who knows? Yeah, but but honestly, like, I to to murder somebody and leave absolutely no evidence to make it look like a murder suicide mm. with today's forensics, it, that's that's not happening. Yeah, you know? especially at that time, you're not that's fooling nobody. Yeah. So, um, well, um, I hope everybody enjoyed our first podcast. Um, I had a good time doing this. Prime time. A How about hell you? of a time. We're definitely going to have to do this a lot more. Yes, maybe weekly, bi-weekly. We're going to figure out how we could do it, but expect more from wrestling with PTSD. Test, test, one, two, one, two. The... How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? You, you, you can do. Be...